Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. It is our prayer that what you hear today is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Last week we learned uh, what the wilderness is, that it's not just a place that we go to, but it's a theology that we learn from the Bible. We learned that the wilderness is not what we would think with uh, trees and animals and running water and resources, but biblically... For ancient Mesopotamia, the wilderness was literally a desert, okay? Void of resources, void of any survival. And so the wilderness, um, excuse me, the wilderness means an inhabitable place. It's a place we can't live in or else it'll kill you unless you get some type of outside divine help. So the reason why that this is so great, right, is because over and over and over again in the Bible, we see the Lord revealing himself to his people inside the wilderness, okay? First one, Jacob. Jacob had two encounters with God in the wilderness. Moses had two encounters with God in the wilderness. Israel was taken out of slavery from Egypt and put into the wilderness, okay? They'd rather have been slaves than be put into the wilderness. But God revealed himself to them and gave him their law, right? Hagar meets God in the wilderness. Elijah meets God in the wilderness. John the Baptist, he comes before Jesus proclaiming his name. Where does he go to start preaching? Into the wilderness. And so what, this is what makes the wilderness so intriguing. You can't live in it, but you also cannot live without it. Because in, even though the wilderness may destroy us, right, without it, we may never encounter God. And as Jesus followers, if you're taking notes, as Jesus followers, our lives can be defined as a wilderness. I'm not just speaking physically, but I'm also speaking spiritually as well. Because when we choose to say yes to Jesus and everything that he has to offer and say no to the world and everything that it has to offer, the enemy hates that more than anything else that we can do because we have chosen to say yes and to say no to him. And what he will do is he will begin to pry apart our lives, put things inside of our minds, inside of our hearts that are gonna poke at us and want us to fall away from the true and living God, right? I mean, every time we begin to get our life straight, I'm gonna start going to church. I'm gonna start reading my Bible. I'm gonna start being nicer to my kids. I'm gonna start doing this and that. What always happens? Just things go wrong, right? Things always go wrong. And what Satan loves more than an unbeliever is someone who believes in Jesus, but also does not follow Jesus. So what Satan loves more than an unbelieving person in God is someone who claims to follow Jesus, but does not follow Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, it can be summed up by one word. You can write this down, taking notes, a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who loves Jesus, who follows Jesus, and who is continually being transformed by Jesus. So if we understand that our life is a spiritual wilderness, then we must recognize our need for Jesus. That this isn't something that we can trek on our own, but this is something that we need a deep, intentional intervention with the creator of the universe, and that's Jesus, right? And so my prayer this morning is that you will stop following the Jesus 
that you only hear your pastor talk about on Sunday. Stop following the Jesus that is only good for a couple social media posts and a good car ride listen. Because the Jesus of the Bible requires, asks, and has a whole lot more for us than the Jesus that I think some of us, including myself, have been worshiping. And so what is it, so what we're gonna look at this morning is what does it look like? What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? That's the question we're gonna answer this morning. And so we are going to be in Colossians 3. If you have your Bibles or notebook, go ahead and turn there. And while you're doing that, the context of where we are at this morning is that Paul is writing a letter to the Colossae church, right? So he's writing this letter to the Colossae church and he is unable to visit this church. Why? Because he's in prison. It's not because he was drinking and driving, but it was because he was sharing the gospel and they wanted to shut him up, right? He was expounding the gospel and sharing the, the, the marvelous mysteries of Christ. And they said none of that. So they put him in prison. And so the pastor of this church in the Colossae church is named Epaphras. Epaphras, right? Epaphras has reached out to Paul and said, hey man, my church, we're facing a ton of cultural pressures. My people are falling away. They're turning away. They don't know what to believe. You got some wisdom and instruction for us. What do you got? And so Paul, he begins to write them a letter and he starts first by thanking them for their faith in Jesus and the love that they have for their neighbors. And the reason he knows this is because Paul has been hearing stories and stories and stories about how this Colossae church is doing whatever they can to love their neighbor. The problem is they weren't following Jesus or they were being pulled away from following Jesus, right? That's really important to remember. And so then Paul, he begins to address the certain cultural pressures that this church was facing. And instead of saying, do, 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 and do, okay, Paul says, hey, remember your faith in Christ. Remember that you were buried, your former life is now buried in your faith in Christ. And so Paul gives them a new humanity that Jesus offers through his life, death, and resurrection. And then Paul challenges them to follow that. Don't follow what the cultural pressures are telling you to do, but follow inside the new humanity that Jesus has offered us. And so this is why I love, this is why I love to teach from the Pauline letters because uh, the letters were not written about us. Newsflash, Bible's not written about you. But the Bible was written for us. And that's the truth we can hold on to. The Bible, especially the letters, was not written about us, but it was written for us. And so we can use these letters in the entirety of its context to apply them to our lives. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, we're gonna be looking at how to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a fully devoted disciple while living in the wilderness. So let's pray and then we're gonna dive in. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for a time like this, such as this, that we get to uh, break open your word. We get to hear from your spirit and we get to hear from uh, Jesus himself through the word. God, I pray that you would grant us an open mind, an open heart, Lord, and discernment in what we need to do when we leave here this morning, God. God, give us grace where we need grace and give us truth where we need truth. 
God, I pray blessing, pray blessings over each of us this morning. Amen. So, starting in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if you're with me, go ahead and turn there. We're going to begin. It says this. I got you. <laughs> All right, ready? Here we go. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's super important. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So number one, how do we survive the wilderness? A disciple lives for Jesus. A disciple lives for Jesus. And I love how Paul, he first, he first opens his verse. He says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, meaning he's not asking for our opinions, he's not asking for our suggestions or recommendation, but he is assuming that for those of us who have accepted Christ Jesus, then we have made the decision to follow Jesus fully. He's not asking any if, ands, or buts, and you know, well, I tried this, and I tried that, it's not working, I'm just gonna do this, I'm just gonna do that, and not that. He's saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of this earth. Why? Because our old life has died and our new life is now hidden with Christ in God. And now the benefits that we get from having our life in Christ with God is that Christ is now our life. And the Bible says when Christ appears, then we also will appear with him in glory, right? Amen? And so loved ones, listen to this. We have no obligation to fulfill the demands of this world. We are under no contract to fulfill the demands of this world. So a question we gotta ask ourselves is, what am I seeking more than Jesus? What am I seeking more than Jesus? What am I setting my mind on more than Jesus? And so is it the need to have status? So when people look at me, they see wealth, right? Is it the need to be right all the time? So in return, I offer people all truth and cheap grace. Is it the need to be wealthy? So in return, you sacrifice your family for a job promotion, and now you get to go on vacation alone, right? What are you setting your mind on more than Jesus? And the kicker is, is that these things in itself aren't necessarily bad. What makes them bad for us as for those who have been raised with Christ Jesus is when we set our mind on those things more than Jesus. Because the Colossae church, remember, was going through heavy cultural pressures. Cultural pressures, not just from the world, but from the church. There were people in church saying, you gotta do this, this, and this, and if you do this, you're bad, bad, and bad. And the people didn't know what to believe. So where are you elevating in your life things above Jesus? In other words, where are you killing Jesus in your life? Where is Jesus irrelevant because you have not set your mind on things of him, but you've replaced those other things? 
Those are questions we must ask ourselves this morning. And so disciples, if you're taking notes, live for Jesus because Christ is now their life. And so I got an example I'm gonna show you. And no, I'm not playing the piano. All right, but I have an example here because what I found hard sometimes is to comprehend that Christ is now my life. It's not about me, it's not about other people, but it's about Christ. And so to help us understand that this morning, oh, wrong side, second service. All right, this is take three, so maybe I might get it right. All right, so this box represents our life. In reality, it's our former life, okay? So this is our life. All right, we're happy, we're good. All right, this is our life. We see that? All right, good. I'm gonna talk until y'all keep talking, so. All right, this is Christ, okay? I'm gonna keep it right here. This is Christ, okay? This is God. This is God. You with me on that? This is Christ, our life, and God. So when the Bible says, when Christ, who is your life, for your old life has died and been buried with Christ in God, that literally means your life is now buried with Christ in God. You follow me? When your life in Christ with God, all right? For those of us who have been raised with Christ, this is to symbolize how our life should look. The first thing we take from this is, what kind of evil forces are you letting inside of your life? I mean, I know we hurt and we have pain and we feel emotions, but seriously, what evil uh, enemy schemes and tactics from the devil are you letting into your life? Because the way I see this, and I know you see it, is that those things have to go through God and his son before they even touch me. And so what are you letting right now dominate your life? What are you setting your mind on things that God has already taken care of? The second thing is, which is, this is my, more my favorite one, I'm not gonna preach on it too much, but the second application of this is when the world sees you, they should, in reality, no longer see you, but they should be seeing the God who is around you. And I'm gonna take it one step further, not the God in you, we know that's true, but they should be seeing God in front of you before they ever get to know who you are. So what does that mean practically? What that means practically is when your child's school is struggling to find a solution for this pandemic, right? And things are crazy and up and down and whatnot. You don't take your thoughts to Facebook, but you respond differently because Christ is your life. Because when the world sees you, they don't see you, but they see Christ. And the reflection that you put is that. The second thing is, when our nation is divided socially and politically, you don't throw fuel to the fire from your snide comments, 
but you be an extinguisher and you set an example for the believers in speech, love, faith, conduct, and purity. Because why? Christ is our life. And if we believe that, if then we have been raised with Christ, that is our obligation. There's no recommendation that we should do those things, but that is the obligation that we have because Christ is our life. And so I don't wanna hang out there, okay? But Christ is your life. A disciple lives for Jesus. And so moving on in verse five, it says this. I'm not a good reader, so bear with me. It's a lot. Going through verse 15, it says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. Why? Why did we once walk in them? Because Christ is now our life. But now you must put them all away. And he labels them anger, wrath, malice, slander, absence, talk from the mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice. Translation, our life is buried in Christ with God. That's the translation there. Here there is no Greek. Oh, I missed that good part. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the creator, after the image of its creator. So we are being renewed in the image of our creator. Why? Because Christ is now our life. It goes on to say here, there is no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave. We are free, but Christ is all and in all. Why? Because Christ, he is our life. And so we are instructed to put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing one another. And if one another has a complaint against another, we don't go to Facebook. We go to forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, this is my favorite part, above all these things, Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Why? Because Christ is our life. And he goes on to say, and be thankful. So I don't want to hang out here, okay? Because this could be a sermon in and of itself till next week, all right? I'm already getting fired up. But what I want you to do, I'm gonna give you some homework later on in the message, but I want you to do with these, right? Go back to Colossians 3, 5 through 15. Colossians 3, write that down, 5 through 15. Right here, it physically labels put-offs, put-ons, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to go home. I want you to get into a quiet time with God sometime this week, earlier the better. And I want you to do a quick and thorough spiritual inventory of your life. What do you need to put off and what do you need to put on, okay? And a pro tip here, I want you to stop worrying about the things that you need to put off. Stop worrying about what you need to do and do and do, all right? And I want you to start to be 
loving, be kind, be patient. Forgive others as, they, as Christ has forgiven us. So stop worrying about the putting off and start putting on things of Jesus. Why? Because we are being renewed after the image of our creator. There is a transformation happening. If we have been raised with Christ, then this is our life, that we love one another. And so moving on in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell Inhabit, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God and whatever you do, whether word or deed, do everything in the name of the Father or do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in other words, how we survive the wilderness as disciples, number two, is a disciple knows the word. A disciple knows the word. And in order to survive the wilderness, a disciple must be in the word until the word is inside of them. Translation, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So a disciple must know the word. This is the epitome of letting the word of God dwell inside of you, that you get into the word until the word is inside of you. And I love how Paul sets this up, okay? Because he tells them what to do, but he knows they can't do one unless they do two. The reason is, is that you cannot give what you do not possess, right? Parents know what I'm talking about. When you're short with your kids, why? Because you have no love in your heart at that moment. You love them, but you don't have compassion in your heart, so you can't give them compassion, right? So you can't do one without two. In other words, number one is doing for God. Living for Jesus, disciples, living for Jesus is doing for God. Number two is the contrary. Number two, disciples know the word, knowing Jesus, that is about being with God. And there's a difference between the two, doing for God and being with God. And when we get these things mixed up, when, when doing for God becomes uh, overpowered by our being, or when being with God becomes overpowered by our doing for God, what happens is that we give, we serve, and we do on an overdrive and on empty. We don't have any love in our hearts to give to people, to give to the world that we are so called to love. Why? Because we have not been with God more than we have done for God. And this is very, very easy to get tangled up in because most of our Christian life, we're taught it's about do, 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 right? I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't date girls that do, right? That's what we're taught. And then you're in reality, God wants us to be. And so when, 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 when uh, being with God becomes more than our uh, doing for God, what happens is that we give, we serve, and we do out of an overflow of our hearts. No longer are we looking on overdrive, trying to find every ounce of energy to give. Why? Because we have been doing or being with the Father already. And so we must get into the word and so the word is inside of us. And so an example of this 
is uh, about a year ago, I started a men's discipleship group where uh, I had three men and myself commit for a year. We signed a covenant, okay? We committed to uh, Bible reading, praying, accountability, scripture memorization, and for meeting weekly, okay? We've, if anything, I've missed two weeks in the last month, okay? But nobody has missed. And what we did here, what the goal of this group is, is to be inside the word until the word is inside of us. And the, the repercussions of this is that I had a guy in the group, um, in the beginning of the group, he had no idea how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to live the Bible, how to be in God's word, how to be more than he's doing. And so he was caught in this, I've been in church my whole life, but I have no idea what I'm doing, right? And so after a year's time, I've seen this spiritual transformation in his life to where I'm hearing stories where he's at dinner with his extended family, right? And, and the topic of politics and social problems come up at, at the dinner table. And instead of feeding into the hate and the scrutiny and the, 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 absence, mouth from the, the uh, absence talk from the mouth, what does he do? He says, hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. I've read something in my Bible and if we are called to love or follow Jesus, then we are called to love others. And that doesn't mean talking about people at the table that we don't really know. And so he has been in the word until the word gets inside of him. Why? Because Christ is now his life. When people look at him, they should see the God in front of him. It's not about our ideologies or beliefs or feelings, but about everything that Jesus is giving us in this new humanity that we live and walk in. This is what the world should see. And so this guy is changing the trajectory of his family because he has been into the word and to the word is inside of him. He's a disciple that knows the word. Is he perfect? By no means. Am I perfect? By no means, okay? But it's not about being perfect, but it's about being with God. And so the application this morning, I wanna preference this by saying that I mean this in the most loving, compassionate way possible. Okay, but when I first started serving here at Discover Church about three years ago, uh, I made it a point to go get with men for co with coffee, and my wife and I, we got with different women and, and couples with coffee, and we began just to ask questions, right? We began to pry and, and, and tap into where the, where's the spiritual evaluation here? Where's the people at Discover Church, right? And to our um, findings, right, we quickly realized that not many men and women of Discover Church enjoyed, found fulfillment, or was getting in the word until the word was inside of them, all right? And so some of you guys know my story, but if you don't, you know that discipleship saved my life. A discipleship relationship with someone older and more wiser, someone who has been the word until the word is inside of them, saved my life. And so my mission it's yes, to seek and save the lost, but it's also to disciple those who believe in Jesus but do not follow Jesus. Why? Because they have not realized that their life is in Christ, that everything else should change from there. And so it is imperative that disciples know how to read the word of God. It is imperative that they know how to do that. And if I could share a secret with you, okay? I struggle with reading the word of God. I struggle 
with finding fulfillment in the word of God. I struggle with having a desire to open the word of God and to hear from him. I struggle with those things every single day. Nine times out of 10, I'm going to the gym before I'm reading the word of God, right? I'm gonna be honest with you. And so what's the difference? What's the game changer here? I know that my life is in Christ and with God. So therefore, a disciple must know the word of God. And so while I struggle at it, I practice at it. I work at it. I try and get better. I wanna hear from the Lord himself. I myself experience spiritual wilderness. And so understanding that many men and women at church didn't understand how to read the Bible or found fulfillment or joy inside of it, I started a group of three or four guys, like I told you before. We began to read the Bible every day, five days a week, two days off, right? Need a little break. And we committed ourselves to each other. We brought back to the table what we're learning, what we're studying, what we're hearing from the Lord, what we're praying, what we're struggling through, right? And through that, every guy in this group will agree with, will agree with me on this. The number one secret to finding fulfillment and a desire in your time with God is this, if you're taking notes, journaling. Journaling the word of God. And the reason is, there's many reasons, but the main reason is, is that it causes you to slow down and process what you're reading. I mean, how many times have we just opened up the Bible, flipped to some random page, you're going to a Bible plan, right? And then by breakfast, the kids forgot their lunch at home, someone's cut you off in line, right? Your, your, your kid's school is acting up, and what do we do? We fall back into the prior pattern that we were once accustomed to. And we have forgotten that our life is now hidden in Christ with God. Why? Because we have not been applying, I'm not speaking for everyone, I'm speaking for myself and for those others, we have not been applying the word of God. And the reason is because we do not journal and learn and want to understand what we're reading. We do it as a checklist and then we move on, right? I'm there, I'm there with you. And I know what every guy in the room is saying right now. Diaries. Okay? And I'm going to say this. Yes, diaries. And why do I say diaries? Because when I am reading and hearing from God, I'm not just trying to process it for myself for the sake of others and me, but I'm also, every time I write and I journal, I think about my kids, my personal kids, my baby, Right? my baby girl, that one day I want to leave a legacy for her. And so my life's work besides following Jesus is going to be giving her a collection of my journals where I have been reading, where I have been struggling, where I have been wrestling, where I have been mad and angry at God, but also where I have had joy, where I have had uh, rejoiceful moments, where I've overcome obstacles through the power of Jesus. She is going to see that one day that yes, dad struggled too, but dad worked on getting into the word until the word was inside of him. And that was evident because I saw God in front of dad. And so that is what propels me to have a diary. 
where I am pouring my heart, my heart out to the Lord and what I am learning. And so here is, if you're taking notes, here is a simple, uh, easy method that I work through with our discipleship group leaders and the people in our discipleship groups, okay? This is a method on reading and hearing and understanding to apply the Bible, okay? There's many, many, many different types out there, okay? I'm not here to debate those. What I'm telling you is something that I know has proven to work. So you can do your own, but this is something that has proven to work. This is how we read the Bible. This is called a hear journal. So if you're writing notes, okay, a hear journal is this, H. When you're reading through a passage, it can become daunting, you know, not desirable, not rejoiceful, because you don't know what to do. You don't know how to apply it. So H, the first thing you want to do is you want to highlight what stuck out to you. Colossians 3.3, my life is in Christ with God. That's what stuck out to me, so I'm going to write that down. You follow me? So I write that down. E, explain. Explain what we just read. And so this is what people can kind of get hung up on every now and then is because half the time we have no idea what we read. Let's be honest, okay? We have no interpretation. We have no context. And so we just kind of read words and then we look to kind of apply them. But that's okay because we are being transformed into the image of Christ. The Spirit will reveal what he is trying to teach you, even if you don't have a PhD in theology, okay? So explain in a little paragraph what you just read, all right? A, how can, I, how can you apply what you just read? So you take A and you write down a sentence. You write down an action statement. I'm going to apply, apply it in this way that I have had anger, wrath, and malice in my heart and I'm gonna practice patience, love, and kindness this week. I just apply the word of God, right? R, how do I respond, okay? And to be honest with you, this is my favorite part of the HEAR journal every time I read. is because in this HEAR journal, what I'm doing, this R in the HEAR journal, is I am pouring out my heart to the Lord. And that's how I prefer to do it, right? I respond from what I just read and have heard and felt by crying out to the Lord, God, thank you. I love you. Have grace upon me. Give me truth where I need truth. Give me direction where I need direction and give me the ability and the strength to go from here and apply what I just read. And so the here method, the here journal, right? Easy way to apply and read the Bible, okay? And so there are many answers again, but this is a proven one. Find one that works for you, all right? But disciples know the word of God. And you cannot do for God unless you are being with God first. I'm going to go on a limb here because we're suffering for volunteers. Abigail won't like this. But if you have served more this month than you have had times in the word of God, I don't want you to come back next week to serve. I want you to be in the word of God because you cannot give what you do not possess. And when we try and do that, that is what makes us short, tempered, angry, frustrated, mad at God because we are not giving out of an overflow of our heart. But we are now giving out of an overdrive where we've been pushed to the limit emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And being in the word more than doing for God will help you with that. 
And so that is why my passion is for you to be in the word until the word is inside of you. And so how we're going to respond this morning is very, very practical, all right? But I want to go ahead and talk to the husbands and wives in here, okay? You just heard that disciples live for Jesus. Your life is hidden with Christ. And now you need to know the word, which is God. And the only way to know that is to get into the word, until the word is inside of you. And so husbands and wives... What would this mean for your marriage if you started reading the word of God, taking a hear journal and discussing it one time a week? What would that mean for your marriage? Both of you on the same page, both of you praying for each other and both of you looking to apply the word of God. What would that look like for your marriage? Parents, what would it mean for your family? I know we got some single moms in here. What would it mean for your family if you had your children and yourself read the word of God, take a hear journal and discuss this over ice cream after dinner one night? What would that mean for your family? For the first time, you may be breaking open the word of God, which is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. If we believe that the word of God is the holy inspired word of God, good for profitable teaching, reproof, and correction, then why are we not breaking it open and letting it into our home? What would that mean for your families? Singles, I know we got a couple in the room. What would this mean for your friend group or workplace? If you started a Bible reading group with the believers in that workplace, and once a week you got together for coffee, dinner, lunch, breakfast, you just discussed what's going on in your life. You discussed what the Lord is telling you and how you're applying it. And so in return, Christ starts appear, to appear in your life. And no longer do you hate where you work, do you no longer hate your workplace, but now you love the people in your workplace because you know that you've been sent there for them for the sake of the gospel. Why? because you have been getting into the word until the word is inside of you. So what would that mean for your workplace? And uh, teens and students, all right? Last service, I got a little emotional. Don't worry, I don't got any today, all right? But I'm gonna send a brag on you guys because I know what y'all been doing, all right? Uh, last Sunday, we uh, started a 21-day Bible reading plan with our students and their small groups, all right? And what they're doing is they have had this Bible app where they can get on with their friends and they can see where their friends did read or didn't read. And when they did read, at the end of it, they go and they do a little discussion board, all right? And the things that we have heard this one week in seven stinking days is enough to praise God for the rest of the year, all right? These students are leading the way, setting an example for the believers in speech, faith, love, conduct, and purity. Are they good at it? Are they perfect at it? No. But what are they doing? They're practicing being in the Word until the Word is inside of them. And so adults, where does that leave us? Are we gonna let our kids lead us? That is perfectly fine. If they spark the fire on you, but what I want you to do is I want you to take control of your home. Let the word of God breathe and be active inside of it. You may be the one unintentionally or intentionally killing God in your home. Why? 
because we are all subject for those who have been raised with Christ to not seek the things of Jesus, to not set our mind on things of Jesus. What I mean is we got 40 different sports going on at the same time. We got 30 different TVs going on at the same time. We got parents working crazy hours and never home. All right, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm harping on you, but what I'm saying is you are in control of your family to get them into the Word until the Word is inside of them. You have no other obligation than that to them. They don't know what you care until they know that you care. So that was my challenge to parents and everybody. And so my hope this morning is that the Word of God was clear, okay? It's alive active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? So this morning we're going to just take time of reflection, okay? So with every head bowed and eyes closed, what I want us to do now in this moment is I want you to ask the Lord, Father, what have I been setting my mind on above you? What have I been putting in place of you this whole time, unintentionally or intentionally? And what I want you to do, I want you to call it out and I want you to ask for forgiveness for it. Why? Because disciples live for Jesus, nothing else. There's no if, ands, or buts, or obligations, or recommendations. But if you believe in Jesus, you are called to follow Jesus, point blank. Every time Jesus spoke, the crowds got smaller. And that's a fact. So pray this morning, Lord, what do you need to reveal to me that I've been replacing you with? And then for those of us this morning, going back to our box illustration, you've realized that you are in the little box all alone on the side. Everything that comes your way evil forces, schemes against the devil, schemes from the devil, have hit you and plundered you to oblivion. And you feel alone, you feel unsafe and unwanted and undesired. And my prompt to you is I think that you need a need, you have a need for a savior. There is a savior there who wants to bury your former life give you a new humanity and place you in his father's grasp. And so you need to ask the Lord for salvation this morning. It is free to you. And so that is you, go ahead and do that. I'm gonna pray for both of us and then we are going to dismiss. Father God, we come to you this morning God, we thank you that your word is alive and active. We thank you that your word can penetrate the heart and expose the darkness inside of us and reveal it with light. And so right now, my prayer for everyone in this room is that we would understand that for those of us who are raised in Christ Jesus, our life is now yours. It's not ours, it's not someone else, it's not the world, but it's yours. And God, I pray right now for those of us who have doing for Jesus more than being with Jesus, I pray that you would just forgive us and give us grace where we need grace. 
and give us truth where we need truth, Father. And I pray this week that we would get into the word until the word gets inside of us. Father, I pray a special prayer for those who have felt on an island in a box on their own, being exposed to every element of the world and pressures that the world has to offer. And I pray right now for those people who are wanting to give their life to you for the first time. God, I pray that you would, just like your word says, bury their former life, give them a new humanity and place it in the hands of your father. That is what your word says, Lord, so that one day we can appear with you in glory. So I pray right now for everyone once again that we leave here better than we came, challenged and equipped. God, help us. Help us lean in to what does it mean to make disciples that make disciples of all nations. We pray this in your name. Amen, amen.